Good morning, you guys. Good morning. Good morning on this uh, beautiful Sunday morning. I hope things are going well. I hope you're doing great today. I hope God is working in your life and um, you're just seeing the mighty hand of God working, the wonder of God that we spent so much time talking about. But to, today and uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this topic, buckle up, buckle up. This is uh, the truly, truly, I say to you statements that Jesus made in the scriptures that caused the disciples and caused us to have to think about what is Jesus about to say and I don't want to miss it. I need to pay very close attention to what he's about to say. Do you guys remember the movie um, Knight's Tale? Uh, young William Thatcher, remember, he's this little boy and they live in this little tiny village and the father wants Will to have uh, a bigger life, to chase the stars, to change his stars. And so he lets his little bitty boy leave and go out into the world with a, a world traveler to explore the world, to, to make a better life for himself. And, and just about before, just before he's about to leave, uh, young Will comes running back to the father and he says, Father, Father, I am afraid. I'm afraid that I won't know my way back home. And, and father yells to him, don't be foolish, William. You just follow your feet. You just follow your feet. Well, when it comes to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, if only it were that easy. But it's not. How is it? How is it for you and me today? How is it that we are going to find our way back home? Back home to God. What is it that we are going to follow? Father, speak to our hearts, we pray this morning as we open your word, as we think about Jesus and what he means to us and who he is. Help us, God, to hear you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in John chapter 10 today. John chapter 10, and uh, Jesus is dealing uh, again with the religious leaders of his day, and he's just finished talking about spiritual blindness. Some things happened, and the topic of spiritual blindness came up. In chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man. He healed this man. He was blind from birth. Now the man can see. And the leaders, the religious leaders, they don't like it. And they're investigating it. They're not buying into the fact that this man was healed. Some, something else must have happened. And they're trying really hard to explain it away. And remember, they bring the parents in and they ask the parents about it. And the parents are kind of like, they're, they're not wanting to get in trouble with the religious leaders. And say they, so they say to him, yeah, he's our son. And yeah, he was born blind, but, but we don't know what happened. Ask him, he's an adult. And so they, they bow out of taking any responsibility for what has happened with their son. The religious leaders continue to question the man. And finally, the man who can now see says to them, I don't know what happened. What I do know is this. I was blind and now I see. What an incredible story 
of Jesus bringing sight to the eyes of a man. But what Jesus is really doing is he's presenting an object lesson for a much deeper truth, a much deeper teaching that he is now about to jump into. And so in John chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus hears about the blind man and the religious leaders and all that was going on. And it says this, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe? This is Jesus now talking to the blind man that can now see. Do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. Now that's new because this guy hadn't seen anything before, but you've now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. He's the one that's speaking with you right now. The man said, Lord, I believe. And the man worshiped Jesus. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and they said, what? What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. And we see what happened to this man and we see where this is now leading and now Jesus is dealing once again with the religious leaders. We, we see what he is up against in a very short passage, chapter 9, and as we go into chapter 10. He's dealing with these religious leaders who think they can see. They think they've got all the answers. They think they know it all. They know the scriptures. They know the law of Moses. They know the prophets. They know everything that God is up to. They know what God is going to do next. They know what God did in them. They think they know everything, but they are as blind as a bat. Spiritual blindness is the worst kind of blindness of all. I mean, think about it. Jesus just healed a blind man who was blind from birth. He couldn't see a thing all of his life. Jesus takes a little mud. He puts it in the guy's eyes. He has him wash it away. And voila, the man now can see. That was, that was kind of easy for Jesus. But there is another kind of blindness that these religious leaders have and, and, and we could possibly have as well that is not so easily fixed. These leaders are blind, and part of the problem is they don't realize that they're blind. They think they're okay. It truly is the blind leading the blind because these religious leaders claim to be leaders for God's people, for Israel, for God's children. And what they basically are, are blind guides. And Jesus said, what's going to happen to these people? Both the leaders and those following them are going to both fall into a pit. And for Jesus, this is not okay. In fact, this is a matter of heaven and hell for Jesus. And it gets very severe and it gets really intense really quick. Because the truth is... 
that you and I and these leaders are far better off not having a limb, not having a hand, not having a foot, not having an eye, if that limb is going to lead them into eternal punishment. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus was talking about sin and temptation when he said these words. If your right hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed, life, eternal life, maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And then he said, if your eye causes you to stumble, things you do, the things you watch, the things you're a part of, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life, eternal life, with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. That's pretty severe. That is pretty intense. Really quick, right? In Matthew 18, that is, that is, that is as intense as it can kind of get. And Jesus isn't necessarily saying, go cut your hands off, go cut your feet off, go gouge your eyes out. What he's trying to show them is the severity of our body parts and things in this world that can lead us to hell. His point is pretty clear. Don't let your physical body parts or your senses lead you astray. Don't let physical things destroy your eternal soul. It just wouldn't be worth it. But how many times do you and I get carried away or sucked into physical things like the things of this world that just suck us in and we give our money and we give our attention and we give our time and pretty soon we're consumed by things in this world. One of my favorite uh, lures to use fishing and I enjoy fishing. Enjoy fishing with my brothers and uh, with in a kayak quietly. But one of my favorite lures is a, uh, a skirted um, a skirted spinner bait, basically a metal wire with um, a skirt on the back of it with a hook in it, and then metal flashing metal spinners on top, usually two or three, and they're designed to just flash in the water and capture the attention of a fish and the fish then sees the skirt and he thinks it's something swimming by and he he grabs it in fact i caught this fish if you look right there that is a skirted that is a skirted spinner bait in its mouth that is a huge bat one of the biggest bass i've, I've caught here in north carolina on kamek lake a couple seasons ago but on this flashy bait, and, and, the, and the fish probably wasn't even hungry. Like, he's just hanging out. There's a log. There was a huge log back here. And I just cast along that log and brought that spinner bait by it. And he hit that thing. I thought I had the log. It was that hard of a hit, and it didn't go anywhere. But after a few minutes, I realized this wasn't a log. This was a fish. He probably wasn't even hungry. He just saw this spinner bait fly by and the flash of it in front of his eyes. And he just, he just had to have some of that. You know, he just grabbed onto it. Because fish are instinctive. Not only do they 
go eat things when they're hungry, but if something goes by them, they're protecting their territory and they're gonna strike out at it. Just like this fish, this beautiful sailfish uh, on the Keys of Florida. I caught one of my buddy, George Adrian. This isn't George, this is George's friend who took us out. A great fish, again, a spinnerbait, just, just swimming along the water, flashy up on the water and boom, big fish hits it. And just like this fish with little Isaac off uh, the coast of Florida with Josh and Isaac and I went fishing. But again, just a metal lure spinning around and these fish instinctively just, they, they have to have it. It catches their eye and then I catch them. It's a beautiful way to go. See, shiny stuff, shiny stuff has a way of capturing the eye. Clever sounding ideas and arguments and theories and, and all kinds of teachings seem to captivate the mind and the eyes and the heart of people. Blinding us then from the truth or blinding us from our priorities. And the deception is strong and the deception is powerful. Here's the thing. You're gonna follow whatever gets your attention. If something captivates your attention, you're gonna go after it, you're gonna chase after it, you're gonna follow it. You're gonna invest in it. If it captivates your attention, we need to be careful what captivates our attention. And so the saying by Alexander Hamilton is true. If you don't stand for something, you are going to fall for anything. And how true that is, how true it is, that if you don't know what you're doing or where you're going or what you believe in or what you're listening to, then you are going to be lured in by the things of this world that sound good to you. And this is what Jesus is dealing with as we come to chapter 10. And Jesus says, look, you might want to buckle up for what I'm about to tell you. Here comes a, a deeper truth. Here comes an eternal truth. Here comes a truth that has eternal implications and you will do well to listen closely to it. Buckle up. And he says, very truly, I tell you. Not just you, but very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. That's a buckle up truth for us today. And what we just talked about, what led into chapter 10, right? The blind man being healed and the spiritual blindness discussion. And now Jesus is going to quickly move into this discussion with the same group of people that is standing right there. And in his love for the sheep, in Jesus's love for the sheep who need a good shepherd, Jesus is going to speak directly to the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and not just shepherds, but shepherds of Israel. These are, these are supposed to be the leaders of God's people that claim to be leaders for God and his people and know all about God and will lead the people where they think God is leading them. But there is a problem and it is a very big 
problem, and it's not a new problem. It's a problem that has been around for a long, long time. And that is the shepherds of Israel are a mess. They are a mess. We are studying on Wednesday nights through the blueprints of the Bible, every book of the Bible. If you want in on that, I'll send you the Zoom link. You can Zoom in with us. But we just studied the book of Judges last Wednesday. I, it was my turn to teach the book of Judges. And basically what we saw in the book of Judges is this cycle of, of Israel, of God's people. God would raise up a judge. The judge would let everything go and just bow down to the idols and the, the religious practices of all the surrounding nations and the people would fall into rebellion and sin and they would stay in sin they would be beat down by the surrounding nations the mesopotamians the canaanites the hittites the philistines they come in and beat them up and then the people would finally come to their senses and repent god would raise up a judge that judge would rule for a while and they'd fall back into it like seven different times the cycle repeats itself why? Because God's shepherds in the Old Testament were a mess for the most part, especially during the period of judges between Joshua entering the land and beginning to conquer the land and the first king that God gave to Israel. That judge period was a, was a period of mess. And it seems, it seems that these shepherds that Jesus is dealing with now in his day are not a whole lot different than them. They're not much better. And so Jesus is going to direct his teaching to them, but it's not just for them because the sheep are listening. And so this message is for, it's a warning to the sheep about the shepherds. Be alert, like be alert. Do not be misled by false teachers. Jesus is trying to say, like the devil, he prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour, to devour, and he loves lamb chops, so you better be careful, sheep, or you're going to become a snack for a wolf. And a wolf here is a shepherd, a bad shepherd, an evil shepherd. So in verses 1 to 18, Jesus is going to point out exactly why the sheep need to buckle up. So let's read uh, 1 to 18. Verse 1 that we already read, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate as a, uh, is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and, and he leads them out. When he's brought them out, he... Uh, when he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. That's important. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the shepherd. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and he scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and, and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father from my father. And so Jesus, Jesus is, is pointing out some very important truth. And remember, all this is set up by a blind man being healed, spiritual blindness, and then different kinds of leaders, a sheep pen and sheep and shepherds. And the first thing that Jesus is going to point out in this passage, and if you have your Bibles open, stay there. I'm going to just point out some things real quick. Is this, there is a sheep pen and there is a gate to the sheep pen. It's where the sheep go, particularly at night, to stay safe. There is some kind of barrier around the pen to keep the sheep safe, to keep them in and to keep other things out. And there is a gate there is a gate at one end of the sheep pen for coming in and going out, and that's where the sheep enter, and that's where the sheep leave. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The one who climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. And Jesus is going to be very clear with the shepherds about this story about sheep and shepherds and the gate and the gatekeeper. And the whole time he's talking about these sheep, he's really talking about his children and the shepherds that think they are God's shepherds in this world. At the gate, at the gate, there's a gatekeeper. Okay, the gatekeeper is a hired person. He opens the gate for the shepherd. They come in, they go out, but he sits at the gate. Another thing about the gate or the sheep pen is this, the danger, the danger is on the outside of the sheep pen. It is not on the inside. It's always dangerous outside the pen where, where evil things are. These are where the pitfalls are, right? This is where the cliffs are and the lions and the tigers and the bears and primarily the wolves that love to eat sheep. Wolves. And you can be certain that the danger is on the outside that is, unless the danger has made its way to the inside. The second thing to note is this. There is a good shepherd and there are very bad shepherds. Okay, Jesus is going to make some very big contrasts between these two very different kinds of shepherds. And of course, like the passage says, he's using this as a figure of speech. He's talking about sheep and gates and sheep pens and shepherds, but he's really talking about people and our soul and God and eternal life and heaven and hell. 
And so in this case, as he talks about this, he's using a very real life example that they would be very familiar with back in that day, right? It's a truth story that has a much deeper meaning, one that has spiritual implications, one that the true sheep will hear and the true sheep will understand, but those who walk in darkness will not. So if you have your Bibles, we're in chapter 10. You're going to want to look at this as we kind of march through these verses in chapter 10. And in, in verses 6, what we see here are the characteristics of a very bad shepherd or shepherds. And here's some things about very bad shepherds. They don't come through the gate. They climb in some other way. They're not honest. They're deceitful. They lie, they don't care about truth, they do whatever they take, they do whatever they can to get what they want. That's what they do. That's what bad shepherds do. Jesus clearly says they are thieves and they are robbers. The sheep don't listen to them, they don't recognize their voice because they are strangers yelling at them to do what they want them to do. In fact, the sheep not only don't listen to them, but they run away from them because they don't recognize their voice. And then there's the good shepherd. There is a good shepherd. And he enters through the gate, right? He enters the right way, the correct way, the truthful way, the honest way. They come in, the shepherd leads his sheep in and they go out, they find pasture. The sheep listen to his voice and he knows the sheep by name. That's incredible that the shepherd knows the sheep by name. See, there is a noticeable difference between the two kinds of shepherds. And in verses 7 to 10, Jesus goes a little deeper with this. And again, he gives us another buckle up statement when he says, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And so at first, Jesus is talking about a sheep pen, sheep, a gatekeeper. The shepherd brings the sheep in. They come in and out of the gate. Now Jesus clearly says, as he goes a little deeper, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. And so what we know here is that Jesus is not even talking about sheep and a sheep pen anymore. He's talking about heaven and hell and human beings and eternal souls. Jesus says, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. He says, I am the gate. I am the gate, not just any gate, but I am the gate. I am the only gate. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And all who came before me and claimed to be the gate, they're thieves and they're robbers. The sheep do not listen to them. That is sheep that pay attention. Sheep that know the voice of the good shepherd. Sheep who have been listening and waiting and watching for the good shepherd. Sheep who know the shepherd's voice and truth and word. See, those sheep, they won't be deceived because they know the voice of the shepherd. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He's not talking about sheep that much anymore. Although the same applies with sheep, right? For sheep, 
You'll be delivered from the danger of the wolves and such destruction as that outside the pen. But also for people, you will be delivered through Jesus, the good shepherd, from sin and death. You will be saved. You will be delivered through the good shepherd, through Jesus. He says they will go in. They will come out, they will find pasture, and pasture is not pasture, but pasture. That is where sheep go to graze and eat and find streams of living water and those kinds of things, right? They will go in and they will come out and find pasture. This is the key about being the gate. When Jesus is the gate, when you are the gate, that all will either pass through or not pass through, that's saying that you are the one with the authority. The authority over, in this case, not just the sheep in the sheep pen, but in, in authority over all of eternity. Jesus is the one with the authority to judge whether someone will go to heaven or to hell. If they are a good sheep following the good shepherd or they're a bad sheep following bad shepherds. He says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. There are shepherds out there that are trying to lead you astray. Jesus says, I have come. I have come that they may have life, that the sheep may have life and life to the full. And that invitation is for anyone, anyone who wishes to follow the good shepherd. And then in verses 11 to 13, Jesus takes it to another level and he begins talking about the sheep pen and the gate and the shepherd. And he says that one, he is the gate and two, he is the good shepherd. He's both. He's the good shepherd and he's the gate. You see it in verses 11 to 14, check this out. Jesus says, I am not just the gate, but I am the good shepherd. And then he tells us about the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The good shepherd gives himself up for the life of the sheep. He loves the sheep. There's more going on than just a hired hand protecting the sheep. This is a good shepherd who knows the sheep and loves the sheep. He says the hired hand, he's not the shepherd. He does not own the sheep. Only the good shepherd owns the sheep. When the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep. He runs away from them, and the wolf comes and attacks the flock and scatters it everywhere. Why does the, why does the hired hand run away? Well, he runs away because he doesn't care about the sheep. He's only concerned about his own little world, his own little agenda. He is not about the sheep. He is about himself. That sound like any politicians you may know? Again, in verse 14 to 18, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know uh, me and I know my sheep. That's a, that's a personal thing there going on. This is what makes the good shepherd so very good and why we should want to follow Jesus as the good shepherd because it involves a relationship. He desires a relationship with the sheep, with you and with me. It's just like he says, the Father knows me and I know the Father. We, God and Jesus want to have this relationship with us where he knows the Father, the Father knows him, and we know them and they know us. God wants a relationship with us. That's what he says. And he says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's why he's the good shepherd. 
I have other sheep, Jesus says, that are not of this pen. He's not talking about aliens there or, or some people from another plane. He's talking about the Gentiles because first the Jews are brought in and then the Gentiles are brought in. He says, I must bring them also. They too, the Gentiles, will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So one body of God's people called the church, the bride of Christ. And Jesus is the good shepherd or the bridegroom who's going to come for his sheep one day. What, with, with one good shepherd. So the reason that the Father loves Jesus is that he lays down his life, he says, not only to take it up again. And he says, no one takes it from me. Nobody takes my life from me, he says, but I lay it down on my own accord. And then Jesus says, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it back up again. And he says, I have received this command from my father. In other words, for Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He did it because he wanted to do it for you and for me. He lays down his life for the sheep, for you and I. See, true sheep follow the voice of Jesus. They follow the good shepherd. Why? Because they are familiar with his voice. They have trained themselves to know the voice of God. And there is one big sheep pen. It's called the world. And there are lots of sheep in the sheep pen. And there are a number of false prophets or false shepherds in the world trying to lead people astray. But there is only one good shepherd among all of the thieves and the robbers. When you think of the sheep pen, when you think of a sheep pen, think about out in this field, this, this area that has been blockaded as a pen by rocks or with sticks and, and briars and whatever a shepherd could use to create a pen. And, and, and at the end of the pen is this one gate. And the sheep can only come in and out of this one gate. And there's a shepherd at the gate who lives at the gate and guards the sheep by night, right? Shepherd, the shepherd brings the, his sheep to the pen and he leads them into the pen. And he leaves them there. And the hired gatekeeper stays at the pen for the night. Somebody that is trusted, a trusted gatekeeper, protecting the sheep from getting out of the pen or anything coming into the pen. Perhaps keeping watch over the sheep by night, if that should sound familiar to you. As the shepherds go to town and spend the night, and the sheep spend the night in the pen, and the gatekeeper keeps an eye on the sheep overnight. And in the morning, the shepherd comes to get his sheep, right? But there are now several herds of sheep in the sheep pen from other shepherds that have brought their sheep too. And so the shepherd comes in and they have to be sorted. And so the shepherd begins to call his sheep by name. A stranger cannot do that. A stranger they will not follow. But a true shepherd will come in and call his sheep by name and they'll know his voice and his sheep will leave the pen and the others will stay in the pen. And he will lead his sheep because his sheep know the voice of the shepherd. 
They will follow him. They will walk wherever he walks because they know him and they trust him. It's a beautiful story of you and me following Jesus because we know his voice. We know what we're getting with Jesus. We know what to expect with Jesus because we are in his word. And you see, the reason that many sheep in this world are lost and wandering all over the planet is that they simply don't know the good shepherd's voice. They have not taken the time to learn it. They have been preoccupied by the lures of this world, chasing after the things of this life, that they don't have time to know the voice of God. And you know people like that, and I know people like that. The best way to know the good shepherd's voice is first of all, to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Let him come into your life and clean house. Let him wash away your sin as you're immersed into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then spend time in God's word, reading his word, knowing the voice of the shepherd, knowing the heart of God, knowing the will of God and the mind of God. It will truly set you free. The voice of God heard in the word of God. Father, Father, I am afraid. There's so many voices out there. How will I know my way home? Don't be foolish, my son. Listen to the voice of Jesus. Listen to the good shepherd. Follow the good shepherd's voice. Today, Jesus says to you and to me, buckle up. Buckle up. Anyone, he says, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. Do not listen to them. Do not follow them. Spend your time, spend your life, develop a passion to know the Good Shepherd's voice. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next time.